So spring is here, amen? That means flowers are blooming, I hope, around your place. I hope flowers are blooming. And if you have trees, that means you see green on them again, and it makes you happy. You get to put your snow shovels away, amen? Tuck away your sweaters. You know what else spring brings? And this is the awful part, allergies. Amen. So uh, because it's brought a lot of allergies, uh, it reminded me about allergy pills. Anybody need one, by the way? I've got like three left. (laughs) I think it's actually against the law for a pastor to throw drugs out from the platform, so I better not do that. (laughs) But, you know, I've been thinking a lot about uh, allergy pills (laughs) because it's spring, uh, and also because we're kind of going through this series, and in my season of picking up allergy pills, and also maybe you don't have allergies, so maybe you're like an ibuprofen type of person. It's the same thing. This application, this illustration fits no matter what over-the-counter drug that you may take. Did you know that on the back of these things, there's a thing called directions, and you're supposed to follow them? I don't know if you know that or not. But the reason that I bring this to our attention, not only because it's spring and because there's allergies, but because the directions, the back of these little bottles of allergy pills, talks about the why. Like, you're supposed to take this medicine if, and it talks about why you should be taking this medicine. It also talks about how to take the medicine. And... and, And then it talks about when to take the medicine. You shouldn't take it before this or after this, or you can't take more of these pills in 24 hours than this amount, or don't take more than this in six hours, or whatever it may be. And I just thought as I was taking pills, uh, how interesting that the back of these little pill bottles really kind of mirrors and reflects the sermon series that we've been in. We've been talking about talking with the Lord, right? And isn't it true that we started out by talking about why we should be talking to the Lord? Uh, and then we talked about how, well, first we talked about how not to talk to the Lord. And then we talked about how to talk to the Lord. And today we're talking about when to talk with the Lord. And I just find it so interesting. I don't know why. Maybe that's useless information for you. But the back of our allergy pill bottles mirrors the sermon series. How about that? <laughs> Why, how, and when. And as the bumper video said, listen, clearly, when you ask the question, when is a great time to pray, clearly the answer is always. It's like asking, when is a good time to breathe? Always. We should always be breathing. We know, we looked at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, where it says, continually pray. Pray without ceasing. And we talked about what does that mean and how can I pray without ceasing? Like I have to get up and get ready for the day. I've got to go to school or I've got to go to my job or I've got to go to the grocery store. How can I pray without ceasing? And so we've been talking about over the weeks how to do that. So I know that when we say, when should we pray? We all know the answer. Always. We should always be praying. But what I want to do today is to talk about while we know that we should always be praying, there are six moments or seasons or circumstances in life that no matter what, we have to remember to pray. 
So it's not like answering the question, when's a great time to pray? It's more like saying, when is it absolutely, positively, 100% urgent that we're talking with the Lord? With the backdrop that it's always a great time to pray, but when is it critical? When is it mission critical? When is it absolutely mandatory that we spend time praying? That's what we're going to start today. You have your notes, I hope, in front of you. You see that. We won't answer them all today. We'll start today. We'll finish it next week. If you're online with us and you're looking for the notes, if you go on our website homepage, there's a PDF button that you can punch, and you'll have your sermon notes there in front of you. Well, by the way, we welcome you. We love you, and we're glad that you're here and worshiping with us today. And so that's what we're going to be doing. If you see your notes, you see that we're going to do one, two, and three of six great times, six urgent times, six critical times that we need to talk with the Lord or to the Lord. Uh, now, here's what we're going to do. If you have your Bibles, open to 1 Sam Samuel chapter 1. That's where we're going to start. So if you're making notes, the first blank is this. We need to make sure that we're talking with the Lord when we experience emotional pain. And that's what we're going to start by talking about, about how often it is that when we experience emotional pain, we either do one or two things. We try to handle it ourselves, we try to process it or ignore it, one or the other. And the other thing that we often try to do, uh, or that we often do when we experience emotional pain, is we get angry with God. And, and probably all of us in here, we have an experience. We may not be proud of it, we may not talk about it but we probably all have at least one experience of being angry with God. Why? Because our emotional pain created that anger in us and we, we decided to direct it to God. And what I want to do today is show you a biblical character. Her name is Hannah, who was able to appropriately process and respond to the emotional pain that she was feeling and experiencing. Now, if you're in 1 Samuel chapter 1, here's the setup. Hannah has a husband. Her husband uh, has another romantic person in his life. So uh, her husband, Hannah's husband, is not faithful to her. Uh, Hannah's husband has another lover, another romantic interest in her life. Hannah knows this, okay? Hannah, this is not a hidden thing. Hannah is well aware of what's going on, uh, but to exasperate the problem, Hannah is unable to have children. Uh, she is unable to conceive children, and to exasperate the problem, uh, the other lady in the picture can. So she's having children with Hannah's husband. Hannah is incredibly distraught because he is not a one-woman man, and she is unable to have kids, and her, the Bible calls her rival, the other lady in the picture, is able to have kids. And to top it all off, and I guess just to like uh, give you one verse in the scripture, if you're there yet, in 1 Samuel, that really articulates the depth of emotional pain for Hannah. I don't think that I verbally could explain the, uh, the emotional depths of, of Hannah's uh, pain is in verse 6. And it says this, that her rival, okay, the lady uh, who is also romantically involved with Hannah's husband, who is able to have kids, her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So here's what we have. We have poor Hannah who uh, loves her husband, is unable to have children, 
uh, the other lady in the relationship is able to have children and the other lady in the relationship intentionally and knowingly provokes her, mocks her. And this goes on for years. This isn't just a weekend thing. This isn't just a month-long thing. This is a rhythm of life for Hannah. She is perpetually and she is continually walking with this burden of what her life is like. And I think that all of us, this may not like be our exact story. You may not be experiencing the things that Hannah's experiencing in this story, in this text, but you probably are familiar with living through emotional pain for one reason or another. And this emotional pain didn't cause Hannah to be angry at God. It didn't cause Hannah to try to fix it herself like some of us are prone to do. It propelled Hannah into the presence of God to talk with the Lord. And that's why I want to use this scripture this morning as a picture of what it looks like to run to and talk with God when, not if, when we experience emotional pain. She runs to the temple and she falls down at the altar and she's just praying and praying and praying. And I encourage you to go read the entirety of chapter 1. You know, we're, we're looking at three different places of Scripture this morning so that we understand three critical seasons of our life where we need to make sure that we're talking with the Lord. So we're giving an overview of chapter 1. I encourage you to make this your devotional life for the next two weeks, chapter 1. It's so remarkable. But one of the things that she does is she runs to the altar, she's praying, she's crying out to God. And I want to share with you two lessons that we learn from Hannah's time talking with the Lord. And the first lesson is this. If you want to write this down, I invite you to. It won't be on the screens, but this is one of the two lessons that Hannah's time with God teaches us. Talking to the Lord in seasons of pain can be messy. Now, I know that we like to live put together. We like to show up uh, looking good, feeling confident. And when somebody looks at you and somebody looks at me, we, we, want, we want to feel confident in who we are. We want to be put together. We want to we appear to be doing really well. Well, what we're going to look at here in the scripture is all of that goes out the window. Look with me, if you would, in, in verse 10. Hannah's in emotional pain. She's in the temple. She goes to the altar. She begins praying. And here's what it looks like. It says in verse 10 that she was deeply distressed and she was weeping bitterly. It can get messy when we're walking through seasons of pain in our life. And we get real with God and we go before the Lord and we start praying. And all of a sudden these emotions start popping out of our eyes. And I know that for many of us in here, that's uncomfortable. In fact, oftentimes when we're talking with one another, when, when you and I or you and a friend 
are talking with one another and you're talking about something that's really important to you and you start to get emotional. Have you ever done this where you start apologizing for being emotional? You're crying. I'm sorry for crying in front of you. I'm so embarrassed that I'm emotional. Have you ever done that before? Why is it that we are embarrassed demonstrating emotion when we're processing emotional pain? This is what I love about Hannah. She goes to the altar in emotional pain. She's just real before God. It gets messy. She doesn't apologize for it, nor does God criticize her for it. I want you to know something. You can be who you are before God. If you have a lot of emotions going on, it's what I call the storm. If you've got a storm of life brewing inside of you, you can let it out in the presence of God. You know, some of us are searching, where can I go? What, who can I talk to? How can I let out the, the turmoil that's going on in my life? Where can I let out the emotion? This is why this is the first one of the six critical places and moments and seasons of life where we have got to make sure that we're talking with the Lord. For Hannah, it was at the altar in the presence of God. She was talking with the Lord, and it says she was deeply distressed, and she wept bitterly. What do we learn? We learn that talking with the Lord in seasons of pain can be messy, and it's okay. Hannah did not apologize, and God didn't ask her to apologize. The second thing that we learn, the second lesson that we learn from Hannah, she processed hurting emotionally, is that sometimes there are some pains that the only place that you're going to find Soothing comfort is in the presence of God. Now here's Hannah, who for years has been burdened with this, has been walking with this, has been carrying this, has been hurting through this. And we don't know what all she did. Like We don't know her whole life. We don't know the ins and outs. But what I want you to, to see in the scripture today is that when she got up from the altar, the scripture says, and she was downcast no more. Think about that. In fact, let's look at it together. If you have your Bibles, look in verse 18. It says that when she got up and she went on her way, depending on your translation, her face was no longer sad. She was no longer downcast. You get the profound understanding that through her prayer time, through her deeply distressed, bitterly weeping moments with God, when she got up, she had been comforted. There are some pains that can only be comforted by the presence of God. You can seek counsel from godly people and you can go to the word of God and you can, you can process all that you want to process and you can feel all that you need to feel. But sometimes being at the altar is the only place being in the presence of God is the only option for comfort. Maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe you're struggling with some pain, some difficulty and you're running to a lot of different places looking for some relief. Listen, uh, in Hannah's life, the altar was the only place for her to find it. So that's why we include it. That's why, that's point one. 
critical times of life where I need to make sure that I'm praying, that I'm talking with God, is when I experience emotional pain. The second is actually a 180, complete opposite, not just when I'm experiencing an emotional pain, but when I'm experiencing blessing. Some of us in this room, some of you online, you have no problem running to God when stuff happens, when you experience relationship pains or physical pains or financial pains, you face the problems of life, you are good at running to God. It's foreign to you when I say sometimes our problems make us run from God. You're saying, Pastor Zach, that's never my problem. I'll run right into the presence of God when I'm struggling. Praise God for you. But what you might tend to do then is be very good at running into the presence of God or talking with the Lord when times are tough But when you're in a season of blessing, maybe that's when you really struggle to talk with the Lord because life is good. Life is good. You're blessed. You don't have any problems, so I don't need to pray, read the Bible, go to church. Life is good. I mean, that church stuff, like that's just when your life is falling apart, right? Wrong. And to make that point... If you're making notes, Luke chapter 17 is the scripture that we're going to use. There's so so many of them, uh, church family. There's so many of scriptures that can make this point. But I want for us to allow Luke chapter 17 to make this point. Now, uh, we've moved from the Old Testament to the New Testament. If you're new to faith, if you're new to church life, a moment ago we were in the Old Testament... Life way before Jesus came to planet Earth. And now that we land in Luke chapter 17, we have landed in a time and space in which Jesus is on Earth. He's doing his ministry. He's teaching. He's blessing people's lives. And so that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 17. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was, he was met by ten lepers. If you don't know what a leper is, a leper is someone who has some type of skin disease. Now, understand this. Religiously, spiritually, they were t- seen as being unclean. So they, didn't, they were looked at not just having a skin problem, but having a spiritual problem. So they weren't allowed to get near to people. Lepers were supposed to be out far away. You can't come close to a leper or they'll make you uh, spiritually unclean as well. And so that's why it says in the scripture that when these lepers came up to meet Jesus, uh, it says that they stood at a distance in verse 12. Look with me if you would in the scripture. It says, they stood at a distance and they lifted up their voices. Lifted up their voices is a biblical way to use the word yell. They were yelling. They were shouting. They were crying out to Jesus saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. 
And when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, the significant portion of that is that they would only be able to go to the priests if they no longer had leprosy. Remember, they're dirty. Not just their skin has a disease, but they are spiritually dirty. They can't get around the priest. So when Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest, and they turn around and they're cleansed, Jesus cleanses them from their lepers. This is one of the miracle stories of the New Testament. Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15 Then one of them, when they saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And now he was a Samaritan. So a little math quiz. How many were sick? Ten. How many cried out to Jesus? Ten. How many were cleansed? Ten. How many came back to give thanks? One. When is it critical to make sure that I'm talking with the Lord, not just when I'm experiencing emotional pain, but when I'm experiencing the blessings of God, I wanna be one out of 10 that comes back to thank God. I wanna be the one who returns. I wanna be the one who doesn't take credit You know, we've talked about that in here before. Sometimes when good things happen to us, we want to take credit. We want to accept the praise or the applause or the credit or the responsibility for all the good things that might be happening in our life. Well, the Bible says that every good and perfect gift is from God. And this guy knew that. He didn't seek the credit. He didn't want the credit. He wanted to come back and just fall down at the feet of Jesus and praise God and thank him for healing him. That was the character of this. Of this. We don't even know his name. And yet he's such a profound witness to us. So when is it critical to talk with the Lord? Well, according to the life of Hannah, when we're processing emotional pain. According to this no-named leper who got healed by Jesus and was the only one out of 10 to come back and give thanks when there's blessing in our life. Now, I want you to look at something with me real, real, real in-depth. I want you to look back in verse 15 with me, if you would. And I know that this is a, a message where we're really hitting the high points of three different scriptures, but I want for us to dig in a little bit here, and I want you to look at the scripture with me and see a couple of things. Verse 15 says that one of them, when he saw that he had been healed. Think about that. Now, it's so, it'd be so obvious, wouldn't it, if you had a disease on the outside of your body, your skin, if Jesus were to heal you, you would be able to look at it, wouldn't you? And you would know, God's done something in my life. But for a lot of us, the things that are diseasing, if I could use that as a verb, our life isn't something on the outside, it's something on the inside. You may be struggling with a specific sin or a specific pattern of life or a specific addiction 
or a specific something that's going on in your life. And so when, when God is at work in your life, you may not be able to see it by looking at the outside of your skin. It may not be as noticeable as it would have been for the leper. But he was able to see God's work in his life. I think that's a spiritual discipline that we need to recapture. The ability to see the power of God in my life. Because it's only when you see the power of God in your life that you are going to respond to the power of God in your life. It says that when he saw that God had cleansed him, he did four important things. He turned back. He praised God. He humbled himself. The scripture says that he threw himself at the feet of Jesus and he thanked him. He stopped. Right what he was doing. He didn't keep going forward. He pumped the brakes and he came back. So when is it critical for me to be talking with the Lord? It's when you're going through emotional pain like Hannah did. But it's also critical for you to stop what you're doing and spend time with God. Come back to the Lord, praising God, humbling yourself before God, thanking God when he's at work in your life. And the third time that we really, really need to make sure that we're talking with the Lord. This will be the third point. We'll do the other three next week. But I want to take some time to apply what we've looked at this morning before we close is when we have a decision to make. Now, probably, as you write that down, you might be thinking this is the most clear and obvious one of anything that we've said today, and you would be right. Conceptually, intellectually, this is not a hard concept to get. Anytime we're faced with an important decision in our life, we need to go into the presence of the Lord. We need to talk with the Lord. We need to pray. We know that. The reason that I bring it up is because we have such a propensity to go other places to find counsel instead of running into the presence of God. Isn't that true? Even those of us who are Christians, there's a lot of different places that, that we tend to run when we have an important decision to make rather than spend time in the presence of God seeking his guidance. There's a couple that I'll mention uh, sometimes, instead of seeking the counsel of God, we seek the counsel of our friends. Now listen, you may have some great friends. They may love you. You may enjoy playing tennis together or volleyball or parcheesi or whatever it is that you and your friends do together. I don't know, but you have great friends. That doesn't mean they're qualified to give you important advice on the step that you should be taking in your life. I want you to hear that as loud and clear as you can possibly hear it. Just because they're your friend doesn't mean that they're qualified to speak into your life biblically. You know where that is really apparent is in the life of our dear and blessed and valuable teenagers our teenagers, I want to speak to you just for a second. If you're above 
18, then just check out for a second, all right? I'll come back to you in a second. But if you're a young adult, here's what you need to hear. Your friends, as fun and as awesome as it is to hang out with them, and I'm not saying to turn your back on them. I I want you to not turn your back on them because God wants to use you to bless your friends' lives. But your friends are not great sources of wisdom on how to live your life. They haven't been there. They don't have the experience. And, it's, and, and I don't mean, I'm not saying this in an offensive way to you young people. I'm just saying that it's like you're, you're all in this together and you don't have these life experiences and you're just bouncing ideas off of each other. And then you're picking the one that you want to run with. There's got to be a better source of wisdom for you teenagers on how to operate your life. Now, your friends are fun. They're cool to play video games with or go outside and throw the football, but they shouldn't be shaping the content of your life. Now, let me say a word to you adults. Oprah is not a great place either. Or uh, I don't know if Dr. Phil is the hour before or after. He's not either, right? And the one thing that connects the young people with the older generation is Google. Google is not the best place either, right? So let me give you an example of somebody in Scripture. And and I'm not trying to be hard on you. The point I'm trying to make is even as people who love the Lord, we sing worship songs, we pray, we give tithes and offerings, we show up at church, we encourage one another, we can fall victim to running to an empty well for wisdom on what we should do next. So it's a critical time in the season of my life that when I'm looking for what my next step should be, that I am very careful about who I listen to and that instead of turning on the television are googling it I go to God the disciples Acts chapter 1 perfect illustration for for this third point so Jesus is walking the earth he's arrested he's been put on trial trial he's been crucified he's been buried he's been resurrected and all of the disciples now at the point that we find that we step into acts chapter 1 the disciples are all together they're trying to figure out what do we do now and in the course of talking to one another and and being in this weird waiting period before the the church just exploded and before they took the gospel everywhere they're sitting in this room and one of them steps up and he speaks up and he says "Uh, listen you guys remember Judas if you don't know the, the gospel story Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus and helped him to get arrested he was one of the 12 disciples he went with Jesus he saw Jesus's ministry watched his miracles heard his teaching all of this stuff one of Jesus's inner 12 betrayed him so that he would be arrested and in the process from the time that Jesus was arrested to Acts chapter 1 Judas has died and so the disciples in Acts chapter 1 are now talking about the necessity to replace him so that they can continue to do the work of the ministry and so they say okay so they need you know be a person full of the spirit and needs to be somebody that's been with us since the beginning and they're talking through how they're going to find Judas's replacement and they get down to two people and in Acts chapter 1 let me give you the verse 
so that if you want to find it in your own scripture that you're able to do that. In Acts chapter 1, they're trying to replace Judas, and in verse 24, they get to this place where they talk to the Lord. You see, when, when I need to make an important decision, it is critical that I talk with God. And the disciples embodied that. And their prayer is the most innocent and beautiful thing. They, they say this. They say, oh, Lord, you know our hearts. I mean, think about how freeing that phrase is. I don't have to hide before God. The disciples didn't feel the sense that they had to pretend to be or know something that they were not or didn't know. They, they, they prayed. They said, God, you know our hearts. And for some of us, like that might be a really terrifying thing for you to grapple with this idea that God sees beyond what you say and God sees beyond the way that you present yourself to the world. God sees past all of that and he sees our hearts, but the disciples were banking on that. Oh God, you know our hearts. And they go on to say in this verse, show us who you have chosen to take his place. I just want that to sit in on you for a second. Show us who you have chosen to take his place. Not show us who we should choose. Not bless our decision, oh God. No, you know our hearts. Show us who you have chosen. Man, what if every Christian on this planet lived according to that prayer? What if before we made relationship decisions, decisions about who I am, decisions about my finances, decisions about what I'm going to do with my life, who I'm going to date, who I'm going to marry, who I'm going to be vulnerable. What if before we made those critical, really important decisions, you know my heart, oh God, show me what you have chosen. Be powerful. You know, when you, when you pray this type of prayer, Three things are taking place. These are not on the screen. If you want to write them down, you're, you're welcome to write them down. I'll say them slowly so you can capture them. But when we're talking and yielding to the Lord in seasons, seasons of decision-making, it demonstrates three things. It demonstrates that you trust that the Lord has a plan or a desire. When you pause the important things that are happening in your life and you're saying, God, you know my heart, show me your choice, show me your will. You are demonstrating trust that your God, that your Lord, that the King of kings and Lord of lords has a plan for your life. You're demonstrating trust in the Lord. You're also demonstrating that you want your life 
You want your life to be a part of the work of God. And we were talking about this several weeks back when we were looking at Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. And he said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And these disciples were essentially praying that same thing just with different language. Show us, Lord, your choice. And when you in your life, whatever type of decision you're facing, like I know probably you're not trying to make a decision on which disciple in your household to replace, right? But you've got important decisions nonetheless. You've got relationship decisions and financial decisions and career decisions and school decisions and all these kind of decisions. And when you stop and you say, Lord, what do you want with my life? You not only are are acknowledging the trust that God has a plan for your life, but you're yielding it to him. You're saying, God, I want your work, your will, and your desire to flow through my life. You're saying, I want to be an ally to the kingdom of God and not an obstacle. The third thing, if if you're making notes this morning, if you're making notes on what happens when we actually are praying before we make decisions, uh, this is the sticky one. You embrace your humanness. I mean two things by that. But when I am saying, God, show me what you want for my life. Show me what you want in this situation. I'm embracing my humanness my limitations, I'm acknowledging that I am not all-knowing, and I don't have all the wisdom in life, and I don't always know what the next best thing is, and I'm not always going to pick the right next best thing, and so when I say, God, show me what you want, I am acknowledging my humanness, which is to acknowledge that we have very real and felt limitations on the wisdom with which we make decisions, and the limited knowledge that we carry with us when we're on the spot to make next decisions. But it also, humanness, it it illuminates the limitations, but it also illuminates our dependence on God. And I know that some of us really struggle with that thought. We don't want to feel like we have to depend on God. But if you're under the banner of Jesus Christ, if you're a brother or sister in faith, then you know, don't you, that it is total dependence upon God. So when is it critical for us to talk with the Lord? Well, it's critical when we're processing emotional pain, and it's critical when we're experiencing blessing in our life, and it's critical when we have important decisions coming up that we have to make choices on. Those are the first three. Next week, we'll talk about the other three. But I wanna ask you today, to make sure that when you feel pain, that it propels you towards and not away from God. I wanna ask you to make that commitment today. It's not a matter of if you experience pain, it's a matter of when. And I wanna ask you today to commit to that. I also wanna ask you to commit that when you're thriving, that you come back to the Lord with worshipful thanks. Just like that one that had leprosy, And he was going about his business. He was going back on his way and he stopped and he came back and he talked with the Lord. And I want to encourage you that when God is blessing you and when life is good, when relationships are soaring, when the finances are good, when the health is good, when all of that, when everything that you want to go right is going right, 
don't forget the Lord. Don't let that be the time that you turn and walk the other direction. Bring worshipful thanks back to God. And I ask you this, that when you face an important decision, that you value the will of God over your own You know, those disciples that were replacing Judas probably all had their personal preferences on who they hoped would be the next apostle. They probably were attracted to one style or the other, one reason or another. But you remember what they prayed. Show us your choice. They valued the will of God over their own personal will. And I want to ask you to do the same. My phone is an interesting little thing. It has the ability to set alarms on it. Uh, It's a smartphone. Most of you have smartphones. And if I want my alarm to go off 2 o'clock in the morning, I just set it for 2 o'clock. I like clockwork. 2 o'clock. 2 a.m., 2 a.m., until I turn it off. That alarm will keep going off. If I need to turn the sprinkler off and I keep forgetting, I can set it for 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Like clockwork, that alarm goes off. And you know, I've been praying as I prepared to preach this message. I've been praying that God, like clockwork, would set alarms in my heart. And that when I experience pain, instead of the first thing to get angry at God or to take a step away from God because I'm suffering, I've been praying this past week that my pain would set an alarm in my heart that would call me back to God. And I've been asking God that when I experience a blessing, God, would you make an alarm go off in my heart and call me back into your presence? And in the rhythm of the day, whether it's at home as a husband or as a dad or as a disciple or as a pastor here throughout the week, when a decision is placed before me, that God would sound the alarm in my heart and that I would frantically run to God and say, oh God, what is your choice for this? Would you pray that prayer with me today? Would you say, oh God, would you put alarms in my heart? Would you set alarms to go off when I experience these types of situations in my life so that I can be faithful in real life? Not just here in the building of we call the fellowship but out in real life when you experience real pain when you have real blessing when there are real decisions let those alarms go off they call you back into the presence of God critical moments that we need to make sure that we're praying would you stand as we close let's pray together Father, I begin our closing prayer by praying for the faith of those who have not yet put their faith 
in you, Lord Jesus. And to anybody who is worshiping with us online right now, or Lord, for anybody who is in this building with us right now, I pray for salvation. I pray that people would find peace with you this morning by releasing themselves to you, by turning from themselves and embracing you as Lord and Savior. I pray that for some today would be the day of salvation. I pray that today would be the day that some would step over the threshold of intellectually believing in the existence of God and kneeling at the cross and the empty tomb. Father, these three examples that we have looked at in Scripture this morning both bless and convict us. We are filled with great courage great hope, a great desire to be a great disciple for you, but we're also convicted to see that Hannah runs right into your presence. And then for me to reflect on these places that I've run to is convicting. The disciples in their decision-making process is both encouraging and convicting in such a healthy way, Lord. The fact that 10 were healed and one returned is encouraging and convicting. But may we be found to be people who turn back, praise God, fall before you, and offer thanks. Thank you for a rich and glorious morning that has been marked by your presence. From prayer time to music and worship, to studying the word of God together. You have indeed dwelt among us and surely you have blessed us. Thank you for your goodness. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.